This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Alright, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We will continue on this teaching around the marriage counseling. Again, we spent months talking about premarital and now we've been spending time, I know Minister Martin kicked it off, going over the marital counseling. And my portion of this is around financial responsibility in marriage. And again, the things I've been going over, I hope you really connect the dots, right, about things I've been teaching on, like, well, we ain't heard about money yet. Well, if you, if you hadn't heard about finances yet, then you missed the whole message, right? You have to have the right attitude when it comes to marriage and it comes to finances. It is not about you. You get that, husbands? It's not about you in the end when it comes to finances and what you want. It's not about wives, you understand? It's not about you either. It's about the unity and harmony in the marriage. And so let's start here with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse number 32. 1 Corinthians 7 and 32 reads, But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried, care for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married, that is the husband, care for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. So again, husbands, your care, your concern, your consideration, and all your decision-making process while you are married is how to please your wife. I mean, it's so simple. That means if, if, I, if as a husband, if I'm focused on how to please my wife, then the focus is not how I'm pleasing me. I'm pleasing my wife. And then verse 34. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman care for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married, the wife, care for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So that means wives, your care, your consideration, right? Your, your, your decision-making process is about how you may please your husband. And that's how God set up for harmony in the marriage. If each other are focused on pleasing the other person, guess what? There's unity there. It's not about yourself. It's about the other. Again, that's why we talk about That's why the marriage council is different than, than the unmarried council. Right? Because now you're married. You signed up for a commitment to please the other person. For how long shall you please them? All the days of your life. That's why you, we talk about this. Don't jump into a marriage for just because you want to look good and they fine and all that. I'm telling you, this is for a lifetime. Because all those natural things, they, they're going to fade away after a while. I mean, natural, all the beauty in the eyes of a beholder. You know, you're not going to look the way you look 30 years later. But your commitment is still there when it has to be and come to marriage. Right? So, so, again, for those that are married, understand that that is your care. The husband cares for his wife. The wife cares for her husband. And the care means a continual care. All the days of your life. I love that. that. That's what the marriage union is about. A lifetime commitment. Right? And so, then we looked at this in 1 Peter chapter 3. Turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> and we kind of went through some of these characteristics of those that are in this marriage covenant. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse number 1. It says, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, 
that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold the chaste conversation coupled with fear. So that means husbands, they are observing the wives' conversation. And conversation means your conduct, your behavior. And we got into this, right? So wives, again, you have influence over your husband. If you don't have influence over your husband, then, then something's wrong in your home. You have influence over your husband. Don't sit there and say, oh, I don't have any influence on him. He do what he want to do. No, I, he does what he want to do. But baby, you got influence. That's your, that's your husband. And, you, and he's beholding your chaste conversation. And we talked about that chaste conversation. That means it's clean. Clean speech. Respectful speech. Non-profanity speech. You're not talking down to your husband like he's one of the children. See, that's that chaste conversation that the husband is beholding. He watches that, and you can win him over. You wonder, how can I win my husband? Again, we mean by win. We're talking about how he how win him over. It's not like it's not a game where it's rival win. We're competing against one another. We're talking about win him over. It's talking about with, with respect and love, right? We want to win our husband over, wives. You really do, right? And so, I mean, that's so important to think about. It's not like it's not a game in that aspect. But so he should be won because of your conversation. He said his heart should be tender towards you because of your conversation. I'm going to tell you, it's nothing like dealing with a man's heart towards his wife based on your conversation. I mean, you can be beauty, you can be beautiful on the outside, but if your conversation, your heart is wrong and you're always nagging, always complaining, always talking about what you don't have, what you need, I'm going to tell you, your husband's heart can turn bitter quick. And we don't want bitterness in your home. Wives, you don't want your husband to be bitter towards you. You don't, because that, that'll, that'll breed in other areas in your marriage. Bitterness. All right, and then verse 3, it says, Whose adorning, let it not be of the outward adorning, of plaiting of hair and wearing of gold, of putting on apparel, but let it be of the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God of great price. And I love how it says, in the sight of God is great price. I mean, God is watching how, you're, how you conduct yourselves in marriage. Right, and it's talking about a meek and quiet spirit. We talked about that for you ladies, right? Meek means gentle, mild. There should be a meek, uh, a, a meek, gentle and mild spirit about yourself. Quiet means calm, still. That, quiet doesn't mean don't say nothing. There's things you need to say, but how you say it. In other words, don't just go off on your husband. Even when he does things he shouldn't did, shouldn't have did, right? Don't go off on him. Right? You know, don't just holler at him. Don't just, you know, stop all those things. Learn how to talk to your husband. Learn how to communicate to your husband. You know, you can use that, that pleasant voice. You know, that sweet talking voice. Even when he's done wrong. Again, like I said, it's not like a, you know, we're, we're sitting here saying, okay, you need to be this way and that way. This is how, this is, the objective here was to look at biblical ways and when it comes to marital counsel. It's biblical principles. That's what you signed up for. Well, I just married a fool. Well, hey, that was your choice. But that means for you, you've got to be meek and quiet with that fool you marry. Even when he makes foolish decisions. And again, we always mention this with balance, right? Because understand, if, he's, if your husband is abusive, then of course then you need to get out of that. You need to get yourself in a place where, away from that. We're not talking about, don't be silly with these things. If there's an abusive relationship that's going on, then you need to find, seek shelter and find refuge. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about the other things that go on with marriage. And I know Minister Martin mentioned the trouble. We have trouble in marriage. We're talking about those things. 
The trouble means that little stuff that goes on, like I said, he doesn't pick up behind himself or he doesn't do this, you know, you know, just things around the home. Those, those little things that just irritate you. Be meek and mild, gentle, calm, still. All right, so we talked about that, and this is verse 5. It says, For after this manner, the old time, in the, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. So again, wives, this ain't nothing new. I love how the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. What God is expecting of you, He's expecting for every married woman. And he said the holy women of, of old time, they did this. That means you of the new time, you need to do it as well. You need to be example to other women that are in their marriages. They should be able to see how you, how you uh, conduct and behave yourself around your husbands. It's not like being around a husband and wife and you see the wife just dominating their husband. Every time he says something, you know, she look at him. Right? And your looks can be just as powerful as your words. You look at him like, you're you so stupid. Why wow, you see, you know, your looks. And again, you're around people like, wow, that was interesting. And like, I don't want to be in that marriage. It speaks volumes. And your husband knows. He's like, okay, here, here she goes. She's going to go off. Verse 6, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are. Again, your daughters, I like to say, whose daughters ye are. She's made, we don't make these kind of confessions. Right? You don't say I'm a I'm a daughter of a, like Sarah was for for Abraham. We don't even say that. Right when it comes to marriage, that means it's a particular standard that you need to have as a wife in your marriage. How you need to conduct yourself. Learn from from Sarah. And again, that's why I, I love Sarah's example because you know Sarah had a, had something she heard from the Lord about when it came to the woman that <clears throat> was in her house that needed needed to go on, needed to be gone, and she spoke to uh, Abraham about that. That's what I mean. It's not about just being quiet. Don't say nothing. No, it's time when you need to say something to him, but it's how you speak to him. Learn from these, learn these lessons. It says, daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with amazement. And then it gets down to the husbands, and we started getting on this on last week. It says, likewise, I like this, likewise. Like husbands, hey, here is, we're going to talk to you now. In other words, you're not off the hook, brothers. You know, we start talking about the wives like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it's like, okay, brothers, listen up, husbands. He said, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I mean, like I said, that scripture to me is so powerful. There's so much locked into that verse 7. And again, the thing that jumped out to me when it says, likewise, husbands dwell. There's a dwelling that you need to have with your wife, husbands. You have to reside. Dwell means reside together. That means you've got to be there physically as well as mentally. You've got to reside with that woman. Like I said before, we even though we're in this, this pandemic and this time and we're having virtual for everything else, there's no such thing as a virtual marriage. You are residing there with that woman. You know, the woman that you said, I do. The woman that you cut covenant with. You got to be there. That means you got to live with your wife. Live with her. That's the dwelling. And then you got to live with her <clears throat> according to knowledge. And then we got into this one. It means about according to knowledge. That means, husbands, you got to have wisdom in your marriage. And then that wisdom you have, you got to know how to apply it. But that means, husband, you got to first get that knowledge. You got to get that wisdom. So you can apply it in your marriage, in your home. With your wife. 
How are you going to dwell with your wife with knowledge and you don't have nothing? I never get our founding pastor did an example about an envelope and gave it to a certain brother and he opened it up and he said, what's in it? He said, nothing, exactly. You have an empty envelope. There's nothing in there. You have nothing to give, nothing to deposit in anybody's life. We're not talking about your children. We're talking about even in your wife's life. Your envelope is empty. And a lot of brothers are walking around with an empty envelope and thinking that their envelope is full. And we're talking about knowledge. And knowledge is talking about the Word of God. Why is this so important? Because you know, brothers, you could be making the money, but if you're not, you don't have the knowledge of the Word of God, then your, your marriage is suffering. You're not dwelling with her according to knowledge. You've got to dwell with her according to knowledge. And here's where the, the again, knowledge means how to handle a wife, how to reside with her. Because I'm going to tell you, having money in your home, having finance in your home, that just masks the issues that are there. You know, everybody can be sort of happy when the money is fine, you know, so kind of mask over the, the, the real issues that are going on in marriage. But let that money get low. And then all the issues that have always been there shows up between a husband and a wife. And so we talked about this when it comes to according to knowledge. We're saying that this is an example of, of the principle of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping is how you should operate, should be operating in your marriage. That means, husband, you got to sow. I love this. Husband, you got to sow into your wife. Your wife is good ground. We talked about this last time. Your wife is good ground. Why is your, why is your wife good ground? Because it's your wife. Another man can't sow into your wife and receive the good ground. That is your wife. So you sowing into your wife is good ground for you. That's the principle of sowing and reap. It's going to provide provision for your home. You wonder why you don't got provision in your home? Look at how you've been sowing into your wife. She is good ground for you. I love that. Your wife is good ground for you. And here you are, don't even sow into her. You're sowing everything else, but not into your wife. And you wonder how come your marriage is struggling. You wonder how come there's not provision in your home. Sow into your wife. And then what do you need to sow into your wife? The seed. What is the seed? The Word of God. And then we looked at the results of you sowing into your wife. You will receive the fruit of that labor. That fruit is some hundredfold, get some thirty, some sixty, some a hundredfold. And again, I tell you, my, my, my goal is to hit a hundredfold fruit and sowing in my wife all the days of my life. I'm a sow into the Word of God. And here's the thing about sowing and reaping. It, it takes time to, for that, that fruit to come, to come forth. Right? That means you've got to be patient. But I love how God set this, set this up, right? God, it's in the, the seed knows how to grow. You just got to put it in the ground. And again, how long it takes to come up, that's not, hey, that's not up to me at all. But I've got to continue to nurture it, continue to water it. I know it's going to reproduce or produce for me. See, I'm confident in that. And over sowing the Word of God, is, is, I know by me sowing the Word of God, it's going to bring forth fruit. So I'm going to sow in my wife. I'm going to spend that time. Husband, you need to sow into her. Then it says, uh, honor, uh, giving honor unto your wife as unto the weaker vessel. And we talk about the weaker vessel is in the context of her being precious. It says that she's a precious instrument, instrument contributing to the usefulness of her husband. She is, pressful, she is precious to you to show forth your usefulness, bring forth purpose. So your wife is valuable to you. And you need to treat her as such. She's a precious vessel. And then you guys are heirs together in the grace of life. 
Remember, you are in this walk, this journey of marriage together for the grace of life. That means God's grace can be operating in all aspects of your life, from financial to, to, to raising children to, to you know, getting older to having grandchildren and moving on to the phases of life. The grace of life happens, and God's grace will be there in every season of your life as you're moving together as husband and wife, all because you're operating in this principle. And then verse 18, I mean, verse 8, it says, Finally, be ye all of one mind. I look, that's married folk. This, that's not for the unmarried man and woman. That's for married couples, husband and wife. You should be of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren. You understand? That means, hey, that means your, your wife is, is your brother. You know, we're talking brother and sister in the Lord. You need to treat her as such. I don't know how people can treat other people in the church better than they treat their own wives, you know, husbands. How is that? I mean, come on, that's your, you sleep next to your brother every night. Treat her as such. You're residing with her. It says, love as brother. Be pitiful. Pitiful means to be sympathetic, courteous, tenderhearted. Right? And it says be courteous. I mean, this should be a pleasant uh, about you, husband, you should be pleasant when you're speaking to your how you treat your wife, how you speak to your wife. It should be pleasant. And again, I understand, brothers, it can be hard sometimes. I, I understand that. Like I said, marriage, marriage is work. And again, like your wife can say things to you that can cut to your very core. But I still, my, but my response to her is always pleasant. You know, like we said, husbands, I mean, wives shouldn't go off on their husbands. Same thing, husbands. You should not go off on your wife. Husbands, here's how you go off on your wife. Holler in the head. Don't holler at your wife. Don't raise, holler means raising your voice. You, and husband, you should not be intimidating your wife. You know, you're raising your voice at her, speaking down to her, con, you know, condescending to her, acting like she is so stupid compared to you. And just your attitudes, your conduct. See, that's not being courteous. That's not being respectful. That's not giving honor to your wife. And you shouldn't be talking about your wife to others either. No, that's your wife. That's who you married. So whatever flaws she has, that's, that, hey, that, that is your flaws to deal with for the rest of your days. So you, so you shouldn't be sitting here talking about your wife to others. And like I said, especially talking about your wife to family members. Because that, that, what's going to happen there is you're going to cause your family members to think a certain way towards your wife. And then, and then when it's time for your wife to be able to move on, your family members are like, wait a minute. I, you remember, I remember what you said about her this. I remember what you said about her. And they start getting into all y'all business. Learn these lessons. Right? What, what goes on in your home goes on in your home. We're not, we're not speaking about those things to my family or to others. I'm not talking down to my wife, to my family members. Especially you hugging to your mama. I'm going to tell you that's the worst thing. Do not talk about your wife to your mama. I keep telling you this. Your, your wife is not your mama. Your wife will never be your mama. And thank God for that. She's not, that's not what she is. She's not your mama. Let me help you out, brothers. Your, your wife ain't going to cook like your mama. You didn't marry your mama. Right? So you get that. Let that go. I know for some of y'all brothers it's hard because you're little boys. Let the little boy mentality go. Understand you have a wife now that you are a husband. And then stop comparing your wife to your mother. She's not. And so here you are <laughs> talking about your, your wife to your mother. Mama, she don't do this like you, mama. She don't do that like you, mama. You and your mama should say, that's right because she's your wife and just shut up and go home. That's what you married. Because here's, here's, here's what I think would be a great mother to say to her son. 
Because remember when you were doing a premarital time, nobody couldn't tell you nothing about her. See, when it was time to take counsel during a premarital phase, you wouldn't take it. So I'm going to say it to you like a mofo. You just say, hey, you make that bed, you finna lay in it. You made that bed. Now you finna lay in it all the days of your life. You better keep praying. But don't bring that junk to your, your mother about your wife. What she's not doing. She is not your mother. So again, compassion towards one another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil. Railing for railing. I love this. I mean, I mean that sounds just like a marriage. You know, that, this, that's why I said this conversation is, it, this is part of the trouble that's in marriage, right? Railing for railing, evil for evil. I mean, we, husband and wives go back and forth at each other. They say something, and you come back and say something else. And like I said, we're talking about my, my portion is finance. I'm telling you, finance, you definitely get in this conversation. Well, you, you're trying to go, I want to buy this. And then here, come, here it comes, right? The husband says, wait. Like I said before, the husband said, wait to the wife. But all the wife heard was no. And here comes a railing for railing. And railing for railing means insults. The insult starts going back and forth. Because somebody didn't get their way. You shouldn't, re- you shouldn't go back and forth with insults to your wife. And a wife should go back and forth with insults to her husband. You know, that's abuse. And the wife says something, and then the husband got to say something to top her, and then, of course, the wife can say something else to top him. I mean, you're just going back and forth. And I'm going to tell you, you know, and this is the thing about the wife. I'm going to tell you, brothers, you never get the last word. Don't, don't even try it. You know, know why you're not going to get the last word with your wife? Because she don't heard these things. She don't incubate it. She don't have these things. And I'm going to tell you something. When you think you got the last word, she's going to come and say something that's going to hit home, that is just going to cause you to just shut up. So it's best to cut it off early. It talks about that. Hey, you learn to just, the Bible talks about this. You know, when it comes to strife, put this, just cover it. Just stop. Don't allow strife to just foster in your home or fester in your home. Just let it go. Because you start talking about finances and money and then she, you said wait and she said and she heard no and all she gets into this thing and said, well, you can't afford this. You can't afford me. You can't this and that when it comes to finances. And then she been and said, hey, you know, that's why my mama said I shouldn't have married you. And my daddy said, you know, it started going way back. And then she started name dropping. I should have married, you know, you know, whoever instead of you. I'm like, what? Here we go. And we don't went from talking about finances to talking about something else. All because we went railing for railing, evil for evil. Stop it. It says, but contrawise, blessing. I love that blessing. That, that word blessing means praise. That means I should get praised for my wife. Husbands, you should praise your wife. Again, going back to sowing and reaping. I'm going to give praise to her. You, you know, again, you married that woman for whatever reason you married that woman, right? There should be some goodness about her that you can praise her about. Praise your wife. That's the blessing. Knowing that ye therein too are called. That ye should inherit a, a blessing. That means as I praise her, she's going to give me praises back. That's the marriage relationship. I'm going to praise my wife. That's the sowing and reaping part of my marriage. There's things that my wife does very well. I'm going to make sure I, I give her praise on that. And in return, she's going to give me praises back. 
and that's going to take time. Again, I'm not doing this. It's not back to railing for railing and, and evil for evil. I'm not doing this to get the praise back. I'm doing it because that's who she is. And she may not say it right then, but she's going to, get, she's going to bring it back. Again, that hundredfold is coming. And then verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 10, it says, For he that will love life and see good days, <clears throat> let him refrain his tongue from evil. Again, you love life and see good days. You want to see the good days in your marriage? Refrain his tongue from evil. Stop it, brothers. And your lips that speak no guile. Watch what comes out of your mouth when it, come, when it comes to marriage. Refrain. Resist. Just walk away. Let him eschew or hate evil. And do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. That means I've got to pursue peace in my home. I've got to pursue it. Not evil. I'm seeking peace. And how do I seek peace in my home? There's, there's a way that I need to bring forth correction to my wife. There's a way that I need to speak to my wife. There's a way that I need to treat my wife. And again, that all goes back to according to knowledge based on the word of God. That's why you better come and hear this counsel. And again, it's plenty of counsels that's been said already in previous teachings and it's continuing going forth. You, brother, you need to get this counsel. Because it works. Alright, so let's look at in the beginning. Let's move on from here. Let's go back to the beginning in Genesis. Let's see how, what God did in the beginning when he instituted marriage. Even before marriage, God set up this principle for us. Look at this in Genesis chapter 2. Book of Genesis 2. Genesis 2, starting in verse number 8. It says, And the Lord God planted a garden, eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So you see here that God had planted. I love it. God planted a garden. And in that garden that God planted, he put the man there. Now, at this time, there was no wife. There was no Eve. It was just God and the man in this garden. And God made a, I like how he said, God planted. So, I mean, God was showing man something about what he planted. And he planted a garden. Now, think about it. God could have planted a lot of things. Right? So, I mean, here's the thing, brothers. Understand this when it comes to, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to your wife. Take the example of God. Your creator. Everything God does is on purpose. In your home, everything you should do is on purpose. That means you, you should know what the purpose is. If you don't know what purpose is, of course, abuse is inevitable. You're just throwing stuff against the wall, hoping to stick. That's not purposeful. If you're just throwing stuff up there and thinking, oh, I'm going to say this or do that, thinking and not knowing what the result's going to be already, then that's not purpose. But with God, God was purposeful. God planted the garden on a purpose of showing man about sowing and reap. God was establishing this principle of sowing and reap that man can see it. So he planted a garden. Now when it says garden, it's interesting. Garden, in, in, in reference to other scriptures, means paradise. So in our mind, we're thinking of some, I don't know, I, don't, I guess we think of a little bitty garden. No, God created paradise. He planted paradise, and then he put it... Yeah, and, <clears throat> A garden eastward in Eden. And Eden represents um, delight and enjoyment. So that means God created a paradise in enjoyment and delight. And guess what? He put the man there. So that means all the man knew. To, guess what? The first thing the man seen was formed was God's paradise. That he planted. That God planted. 
I love how God did this. God had already established this, and then He, he God established paradise. He just established delight and enjoyment, and He put the man there. Again, translate this to marriage husbands, right? You, what, what do you establish in your home and then you brought your wife into? Your home should have been paradise for her. It should have been a place of enjoyment. And you should bring her into that paradise. Now I wonder how many wives would say, yeah, my husband has created a paradise for me. It's paradise. That's your home. And again, it, and it's more than just, a, again, a physical location, right? It's, it's everything that goes on in your home. You should be paradise there. Paradise. I'm saying, brother, you think you got it going on? Ask your wife, hey, is my home paradise for you? Then you see how much you got it going on. Because that's what God did. He established paradise and put the man there. So he put the man in paradise. He planted a garden. And then he put the man there. Then verse 9, he says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow. Every tree that is pleasant to the sight, good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now in this paradise that God had planted, he also uh, uh, spoke to the ground, so the, everything in the ground is going to grow. That means everything in this paradise is going to be fruitful. Everything you put in the ground is going to grow. Again, God was teaching man what you put your work, your hands to, is going to produce for you. That's what I mean by sowing and reaping. Your provision is there. Your provision, your provision is there. You just operate out of that principle of sowing and reap. You plant, and the ground is going to produce for you. It's going to grow. See, that's what I mean about, about when it comes to your wife. Your wife is good ground. You need to put the fruit, I mean the seed in her, and it will bring forth fruit. It's going to grow. She is good ground. Your wife is. It's going to grow. So that means, husbands, you've got to understand this, right? You must sow into your wife. If you want to harvest, you've got to sow. And you've got to sow on purpose. That's what God did. He planned the garden on purpose. That means, husband, you've got to have purpose in your home. God's giving you the direction for your home, how it should run, but you've got to do it on purpose. With your wife. So now here God is. He put this man in this garden. Put this man in this paradise. Then he. he uh, 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 when it comes to sowing. And, and, see, and uh, sowing and reaping. The ground is going to grow. Produce. And then we jump down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man. And put him into the garden of Eden. To dress it and keep it. So now once God has done this. Now he's given the man responsibility. I love it. He, he told the man, you're responsible for dressing it and keeping it. In other words, God gave man work. Again, this is before Eve even came on the scene. Now, God gave man work. I love God is, I'll tell you, so, learn these lessons, brothers. Right? Learn this. You're operating, you know how we get, we get to a place of paradise. We just want to sit there and like, we just want to revel. In, I'm here in paradise. Like, you ain't got to do nothing. God's like, no, I, I, I established paradise, but guess what? You got to work it. You gotta keep, I'm giving you responsibility to keep it, to dress it and keep it. That means you gotta put your hands to it. In your marriage, you gotta put your hands to the work. To provide provision for your home. For your marriage. So God gave that man responsibility. When you give somebody work, you give them responsibility. 
And just a side note for you fathers, that's why it's good to give your children work. Because it helps them to see responsibility. If they're living in your home, they should have work to do in your home. Work. They should have upkeep of the house that teaches them responsibility. You help them prepare them for to have their house one day, their own home one day. I'm going to tell you, it's nothing like a lazy man. You know, you want to enjoy all the fruit, but you don't want to work. So God gave the man work. He gave him from work. He showed him responsibility. God's teaching here. So now we're getting that principle of stewardship. Because when, when, when you get into work, that requires stewardship. You've got to be stewardship of, over somebody else's work and over somebody else's establishment. Understand, this is not... This is not Adam's garden. This is, remember, we saw that in verse, verse 8. That God, God planted the garden. God created paradise. But, you, but, but he put man in there to have a stewardship over it. And we know stewardship is a place to fulfill your lives. So God said, okay, I'm, I'm providing provision and fulfillment in your life, Adam. And I'm teaching you this. Doing sowing and reaping and stewardship. All before we even brought the woman on the scene. See, that's what I mean, man. I mean, brother, you should, these things you should have down before you even bring in a wife in your home. Before you even get married. You should already understand the principle of sowing and reaping. You should already understand the principle of stewardship. That should already be, I mean, understand it should already be established in your behavior and your conduct. Before you even talk about getting married. Now, people say, how do I know I'm ready to get married? If you don't have this down, you're not ready for marriage. Again, I'm not even getting, pre- that's all we learn in premarital. But now you're married, guess what? We're on the other side of this. So guess what? Now your wife got to deal with this. Because now she married a little boy that's learning how to be a good steward and learning how to, how to apply sowing and reaping in her home. And you got to deal with it all the days of your life. And how long would that process take? I don't know. You couldn't wait before they got married. So guess what? Now you're going to wait, baby. That's why, hey, don't be in a hurry. Either you're going to wait before or you're going to wait after. But now, you, I'm going to tell you, it's easy to wait beforehand because you got options. Once you get into the marriage, you don't have an option. All the options you got now is to wait. You're in it. You got to watch this man mature. Right, so God gave man responsibility. And then from his responsibility, he gave him in verse 15, and Lord God put, took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And then verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the, uh, I'm sorry, every tree of the garden, thou may freely eat. So from his responsibility, God, God also showed him reward. I love this. I mean, it's amazing. God showed him work comes first. And then he said, After your work, you can be rewarded. Again, verse 15 and 16. It says, And the Lord God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, Saying, of every tree of the garden, thou mayst freely eat. So after you dress in and keep in it, you can eat from the fruit of your labor. That's reward. God's showing man the principle here that operates, right? From sowing and reaping to stewardship, now you can reap a harvest and be rewarded. That's teaching them how to handle a wife. How to handle being in a marriage. God's showing this man this. Before the woman even comes on the scene. And so when we talk about <clears throat> responsibility, let me define the word responsibility. When God gave man responsibility, that means one, 
that's liable to be called on to answer. One accountable as for a trust, debt, or obligation. Again, one that's liable to be called to answer. One accountable as for trust, debt, or obligation. That means you are the one that's liable for your home men. You are the one that's liable for it. Not your wife. Again, we see this in the progression here. There was no wife here, but the man was told to dress it and to keep it. That means that's your work. You're responsible. Then what is my wife's responsibility? To help you. I mean, I, I mean it's, to me, it's so amazing, right? So then we, if we keep going down, now we get to the, just jump down to verse 18. Again, we, we talk about these things, about the husband's responsibility, what God has established ahead of time. And then now we get to the, verse 18. It says, And the Lord God said unto, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. That's called your wife. That's what I mean by she is good ground for you. Now God establishes, and says, okay, I'm a, man, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you help. That's meat for you. I love this. For you. Your wife is meat for you. She's not meat for another man. She's meat for you. So your wife has a responsibility to help you in this. But it's not your wife's responsibility. I hope you got that. I hope you understand the play on words there, right? It is your responsibility to dress it and keep it. Your wife is there to help you in that. And hear from a lot of brothers, they put all responsibility of work on their wife. That was not God's order. You have that responsibility. Husbands, not your wife. You know, so, for example, here, here's, here's a case of bad planning in, in your marriage. When your house can't run or operate without having two incomes. I know we lost some people there. That, that was bad planning on your part, husbands. Why? Because now you put the responsibility on your wife to make sure that to maintain your home, she has to work. Get this. To maintain your home, she has to work. That's bad planning. Why is that bad planning? Because what happens? She can't work. What happens when children come along? What happens when life happens? And that responsibility is on you, not her. If your home cannot maintain without both of your incomes, that was bad planning on your part. Because I'm going to tell you something. Your wife, and then guess what? This, this is about a wife. Like we said before, she's a life giver. She's an incubator. What you put into her, she's going to bring out. And I'm going to tell you, once she gets that down in her, now she, she's working harder than you are. In other words, in the sense that she's maintaining her home. She's not going to let her home go, to, go, to go down because of you. That's your responsibility. Your wife's there to help you. He said, well, that's the help I need. I need my wife to work. Now understand, the man, God was teaching the man responsibility. And God was showing the wife she needs to help the man. Responsibility is on your part. Your wife is not responsible for your house to maintain your home. You are. And again, I know that's tough for some of you brothers. I understand. It is what it is. And I say this, and I said this before. You are where you are now. If you need two incomes to run your home, you better, you better do what you need to do. Because you, y'all going to go hungry. If it, it is what it is. 
But these are things you should have learned ahead of time. See, that's what I'm saying. When it was time for you to go to school, go to college, go wherever you needed to go, you should have went. Instead of playing whatever sports, instead of joining whatever fraternity, instead of having a great time and, just, and then didn't graduate, didn't finish, and then complain later on when you got those jobs and then not able to, 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 to afford or be able to pay for things you need. And then, then you married up, in your mind, married a woman that had all this, that went to college and finished, and she had a great job, and now you've saying her income is the one that's carrying your home. Yeah, it gets real, real quick. That's exactly. And then all of a sudden, you wonder why your wife speaks to you like the children. But that's your financial arrangement. That's your house. Now you've got to deal with that. You've got to bring some order to that. And again, these scriptures don't change. You know, what we just read in First Peter chapter 3 don't change. So what I mean by that is it's still wise. If you're making more money than your husband, if your money is needed for your income, if your income is needed for your home to be maintained, that still doesn't say that you have the direction for the house. These scriptures don't change. You still need to treat that husband as, guess what? Your husband. He still has a direction for the home. Even if you're making more money than him. Even if he got you out there hustling. Still, you need to treat him with chase conversation. See, I'm gonna tell you, I, I hate. I never want my wife to sit. There's some some words you never want to hear from your wife. And I, I never want to hear her say that. You know, you had me put me out. I had to work. I had to work in order for your in order for your home to make it. That's in, that's an interesting comment, right? She had to work in order for your home to make it. That's your house, brothers. That you're responsible for that. That's your labor. So again, that's your bad, bad, bad planning. But now you need to get up under that. How do you get up under that? Make those choices. Get knowledge. And here's the thing about, I'm going to tell you something. You know what I love about God? God you know what I love about God? Because God, His word is true. God will always acknowledge and fulfill his word. And what I mean by that, the principle of sowing and reap will work at all times. Once you get yourself aligned with God's word and his principle, watch how your home will change. You've got to get yourself under his principles. And that's why you see some people don't even understand. They're operating out of God's principle and they're getting the benefits of it. And here you are, a born-again believer, ain't getting any, and not getting it. I purpose in my heart to operate out of God's principle. That's why I receive the fruit of my labor. I thank God. And that's going to require sacrifice. And I understand. And again, I am not telling you, you I'm not telling anyone to quit their jobs or to stop this or that. Your home is your home, brothers. It is what it is. But understand, a lot of the things, underlying issues you have financially is because of how you, how you got established, how, you, how your wife came into that home. She didn't walk into paradise. She walked into a place that wasn't even established, and she had to help it become paradise. Helping me in the sense that it, it took her, she has to work. My wife, if my wife works, it's, it's just, that's just extra. That is not based on my home being uh, established because my wife has to work. Your house should already be established. So brothers, get this counsel. Learn these things. Apply these principles of sowing and reaping your home. 
and, and watch God work in your home. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.